You are listening to Real Men Feel with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to this edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And part of my part of my favorite shows, part of my, my favorite thing about this show is the, the guys I get to meet. And my ideal guest is always a man willing to come on and share his story and then also share how he's now serving the world. And today, that, that's what we have. And uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to this, uh, this gentleman today. Um, he reached out to me. He's, he was a listener and fan of the show, and he's recently written a book and thought it would be a good fit, and I agreed. So uh, my guest today is author and speaker, Brad Richard. He joins us to discuss codependency and lessons learned while living his autobiography, Man at 50, A Journey of Crisis, Revelation, and Survival. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Cool. So... Before we get into your personal story, I, I, I'm always interested. So this is your first book, am I correct? Yes. So, so what prompted you to want to write your story? Um, well, believe it or not, the, the title, um, I received the title of the book before I started writing it. And it was uh, a phrase, man at 50, that I woke up one morning and I had these words in my mind had no clue where they came from, what they meant. And I had to analyze it and kind of think about it. Uh, and then, you know, the dots kind of connected and I went, wait a minute, that's where I'm at. That's who I am at this moment in my life. And I went, but what does that mean? And why did I get those words? You know, what am I supposed to do with those words? And, you know, the stars align just right. And sure enough, my, you know, that's, that's what I came up with. It's like, I'm supposed to put this down on paper. So it's not like for years you had this yearning to, to share your tale. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I'm not really uh, an avid reader. Um, and as far as writing, that is not something I've ever looked at until a year ago. So no, <laughs> but now I'm on my second book. So. Oh, cool. So you've, the, the bug has bitten you. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of hooked, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting and uh, it's a way to communicate that uh, I was kind of unaware of um, and, you know, other books uh, growing up. I mean, I was exposed to a whole lot of authors and writers and never really understood um, their passion about it, but I do now. Cool. I do now. So, so as you, you, you're one day, you're just this, this phrase comes to you, man at 50 what did you decide it means? Is it I'm finally a man at 50 or what it means to be a man at 50? Like what, what, what does it mean? Um, well, for me um, and you know, the book itself is you're exactly right. It's, you know, for my story, it was becoming a man at 50 years old. Um, finally, uh, most people probably do it sooner, but it did take me 50 years of, uh, of crisis revelation and survival of a lot of different events in my life that brought me to the place where I made that transition and decided to move forward as an adult uh, instead of a child. 
So during those first 50 years, certainly as a child, we won't go there, but in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, did you struggle with, am I a man or not? Or was it you're just living your life and didn't really think of it? Well, um, you know, we kind of have to touch base on the childhood aspect of it. Uh, I'm the youngest of 10 children and uh, fairly dysfunctional family. Um, there was uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse that, uh, that did occur in my family. Um, with myself, um, I, I had no um, physical or sexual abuse from either one of my parents, but I had a lot of verbal abuse um, and very you know, emotional abuse from, from my father. And um, he basically was a very non-affectionate man. Um, he was born in 1922. Uh, so back then, any type of affection, um, love, hugs, uh, kisses, uh, any, anything like that, that was absolutely taboo. And he formulated uh, that as his, I mean, that's, that's who he was. And none of his sons was going to get any kind of physical attention from him because that would break everything he believed in, you know? So um, as far as his abuse goes, uh, his emotional abuse, um, I spent most of my younger years being asked when, when I came to him for attention or affection, um, I was asked, are you gay? Are you a faggot? Are you queer? Men don't do that, you know? Etc. 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 And um, after many years of hearing that, you begin to develop uh, that question in your mind, and you're really unsure. And uh, when it comes to you know real men feel, um, yeah, the first fifty years of my life, I had a lot of feelings, um, <laughs> a lot of them, and they were very you know convoluted and confusing. Mm. So that's. To answer your question, yep, I question uh, which way I was supposed to go, um, you know, or go right down the middle. I mean, I, I really had no idea, and I wasn't clear on that, on, on if I was a man or not. So w with your nine siblings, w were, there, were any of them, were there someone you could talk to, or, you know, was there kind of uh, confiding about the abuse amongst, the, amongst your siblings at all, or? Um. Well, once again, back back in the day, it wasn't really talked about. Um, there were stories and accusations that were brought up between the siblings of things that happened. Um, and then there was subsequent denial. I don't remember that happening and things of that nature. Um, the sexual abuse that that I encountered were from my siblings and I don't have any vivid recollection. Um, my memories of that sexual abuse is more of a cloudy dream type image where I can kind of make, uh, make things out and I knew what was going on wasn't right, but, you know, not vivid, which is good, um, you know, because I really don't need that vivid memory. Uh, and so I'm grateful for that. But, um, you know, it, it was brought out and it was, it was talked about but um, but very briefly, and it really was never, you know, taken it. It was it was like okay, you said that you think this happened to you, and one of your brothers or one of your sisters did this to you, but we're gonna leave it alone. 
And uh, so it was never explored or understood. Just it was a wound that they, you know, that was out there and they made, they, they made their case and stated it. And that was as far as it went. So the sexual abuse was not your parents and any siblings. It was amongst the siblings. That's correct. Okay. And as the youngest of 10, there, there must have been quite an age range. What, what was the age gap in your family? Um, there is, I'm going to turn that off. Sorry about that. And um, as far as me being the youngest, um, oh, let's see, the age gap. Um, I believe, I'm trying to think. I honestly, I don't have, I don't remember. Um, I know that my, my uh, oldest brother um he is in his 70s now so uh, there's probably 15 to 18 years from the oldest to the youngest and everything in between so it's a big gap (laughs) did did your father's expression of emotion his outlook on on being a man did that change for him ever as he got older well um both my mother and my father have passed away and um my mother was the least judgmental person that I've ever met. Um, she was supportive and I had a really good, strong relationship with her. Um, and she passed away after my father passed away. Um, but part of the story in the book is the, uh, is the time that my father passed away and what occurred during that time he was in intensive care he had bleeding in his brain and he had a blockage on one side of his heart um and from a metaphysical standpoint um the bleeding in his brain represented a lot of negative thoughts um delusions and fear and anxiety and things in his mind that just really didn't work very well in society or with other people um and his heart being blocked, um, you know, also from a metaphysical standpoint, you know, that represented uh, that he never really loved fully. Uh, he, he held a lot of his heart back. And um, when he died, he died with a broken heart and a broken, and a broken mind. Hmm. And um, he was scared. He was very fear, fearful to to uh to pass on to pass on um they basically gave him um when the family made a difficult decision to let him go because there's nothing the doctors could do for him because he wouldn't survive either a heart surgery or or brain surgery um he lived on ice chips and morphine for 10 days Mm. and that's it he had nothing else besides that um so that was a real scared man. Yeah. And he was leaving a lot of baggage and a lot of stuff behind um, that was never resolved. And he was really unsure where he was going. And that's the second reason why I wrote this book. Um, I, you know, made a commitment to myself that uh, I'm not going to go out that way. I don't want to take that stuff with me. Mm-hmm. And for me, the book is a purging and uh leaving that behind so did that that's that i know it was a long answer but <laughs> was it an answer <laughs> yeah, sure everything's okay. an answer <laughs> okay i got you 
Now, I want, I want to back up a little bit because so this is your autobiography, uh, but you did write it with a pen name. So, so why did you go that route? Um, I wrote it with a pen name because even though the, um, the people that are in the book, uh, they all have fictitious names. And my, as far as my siblings go, the majority of my siblings are just referred to um, in their position in the family. Uh, younger or older, but not by name. But I wanted to be consciously aware of their feelings, their concerns about family laundry, uh, family story, who, you know, what gives you the right to tell our family story. And I wanted the story to be more about my life and not theirs. Mm -hmm. And so I used a pen name to keep it as neutral as possible. Okay. And then you even... The, the main character of the book, you, goes, is, is named Robert in the book. Correct. So that was neither your name nor your pen name. So that, that threw me off a little bit as I was starting to read it. Right. Yeah, that is confusing. I've had uh, a couple of people tell me that, and it's like, uh, you know, and I, once I explained it, they went, okay, I got it. <laughs> so it's Robert's journey, and you're t and, uh, told through your experiences, hmm. you know. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, it was uh, – Again, with it being written in third person, yeah, it was kind of more an, an observer of, of your experiences as opposed to first person t um, putting yourself there, I guess. Right. And, and I, wrote it in a, I wrote it in a narrative way. Mm -hmm. um, my writing style is, you know, it's different. I mean, and it's um, – I wrote the story the way I would communicate it if I was talking to somebody and telling them my story in person. I wrote it, like I said, in a narrative way. <clears throat> um, it took some of the emotions out of it for me to do that. Um, my first manuscript was completed in four months. And for me, never written, you know, never had, had written anything before. Um, I basically just kind of let everything come out of my mind and put it on paper and then tried to kind of make sense of it. So it did tell a story. And um, how challenging or easy was was you putting it to paper? How you know um, putting yourself out there like that? How what was your it, experience? It was fairly um, it was fairly easy to do that because um, I, I felt this drive to, like I said, to purge um, and to get my memories out there, and it was also real healing for me to do that. Um, it, it gave me, the more I wrote and the more of my story I got out of my mind, the stronger I became, you know, uh, to have that out there. And then I began to realize as I got towards the end that it could indeed hopefully help at least one other person uh, that might had uh, similar circumstances in their life or even different, but uh, there are things in the book that I'm sure people can relate to and go, wow, um, if he got through that and he is still alive and, you know, a normal adult, adult male at 55, 56 tomorrow, um, you know, maybe, maybe I can continue on as well. Um, just that's, that, that was the first, that's the first reason I wrote it is to help at least one other person. I was going to ask, well, first, happy birthday. And oh, thank you. So, yeah. so if, if the goal was to have your story help others, was kind of the purging and release that you experienced, was that 
an unexpected byproduct or do you, did you anticipate that as well, that it would be healing for you? Um, I knew before I started writing that I needed to write it for myself and to differentiate my life from my father's life. And I knew I needed to write it because somebody, somebody out there, and I've already been told by a handful of people that the number one reason that you wrote the book is to help at least another, at least one other person. And I've already been told by a handful of people that that's been a mission accomplished. Oh, that it's that, that, you know, it's like, you've already exceeded that. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so that, that's good. I got, I got at least one, you know, well, actually I got a, a half a dozen that have right. told me that. So, um, so it's on, it's on the right track, but I did know that I needed to write it for other people and I needed to do it for myself. And was there anything specific or surprising that you heard from, from strangers to, to their reaction to your, your book? Um, a lot of the, the feedback that I've gotten is, why did you stay there so long? Why did you stay in those negative situations? Um, you know, I could have never done that. I could have never did what you did. I couldn't have made the commitments that you made. Um, I mean, as a, as a synopsis, the, the story of Robert, of me, is, is a story of a codependent boy. And he stays codependent through two marriages. And one of the marriages questions and brings up his sexual identity right in his face, where he really now due to what happens in the first marriage, he really questions his sexuality. And the second marriage uh, is a very controlling marriage. Um, it's, it's a marriage that, you know, uh, my second wife was very controlling, very similar to my father, but was also a mother figure. And I sought out uh, both my first and second wife, I sought out mother figures because that's what I was comfortable with. And that's what little Bradley or little Brad, okay, that's what I needed. And I needed that codependency and that safety net. But I kept, I stayed in that place for 50 years until several things happened that snapped me into reality. So as little Brad, Mm -hmm. As really living this wounded inner child experience as an adult, were you aware of that? Did did you know that you were kind of you know, not not fully grown up, not being all that you could be, or mm -hmm. was it was it a mystery? No. Um, I was I was aware of it, um, and every time I looked at changing my behavior, it was that fear of losing something hmm. or being or being something different that I didn't know who that, who that would be. Um, I chose to stay in that comfortable codependent place and literally um, just did what either I was told to do or what I was told I was going to do. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was one of those things where I, I, I was a follower, not a leader. Um, and there's, there, there's several things in there. Um, probably the transition began 
in my second marriage, um, when I, when I made a grown up decision to stay in a 22 year marriage with the last 10 years of that marriage being a non-physical relationship and the, the, the start or the beginning of my transitioning to becoming a man and becoming responsible was making a commitment to my second son to stay in that bad marriage for 22 years, the last 10 years being the worst because it was a non-physical relationship, um, taking the responsibility and promising myself and him that I would not leave or abandon him until he was an adult and hopefully he could understand my reasonings for why I left him and his mother. So I did that. And to answer some of the people that have asked me the question, why did you stay in that second marriage so long? And it was because it was a commitment I made to myself and to my son. And that's probably the, you know, back then that was the most manly thing I, that I ever did. Hmm. And, and the toughest thing I ever did. Yeah. And, and when you finally did leave that marriage, how did your son react? Did, 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 did he appreciate the commitment or was he just as upset? as if he'd left at any time or no, there wasn't any appreciation for the commitment. And he actually left with his mother. Um, they disappeared for about four years. I don't, I, I never knew where they went to. I never knew if they were alive and well or not. And, um, until about five years after I, I left that marriage, I did find him online, uh, reached out to him and told him that, I could see from his online profile that he was pursuing his dreams and I was proud of him for doing that. And I said, I love you and left it at that. And he blocked me within about an hour. So needless to say, I don't have a real strong relationship with him. Um, and maybe someday that will change. Now my first son <clears throat> from my first marriage, um, I have a tremendous relationship with him, a strong father-son uh, relationship. He's an adult as well. Um, he's in his 30s, um, but he is the one that I left, and, and I left uh, when he was three, and I haven't seen him since he was three years old. So you still haven't seen him since he was three? No, uh, we, haven't, we haven't seen each other, but as far as you know, Skype and phone calls and, and letters and cards and Christmas presents, we, we do have a very strong relationship. And so uh, it's, you know, things are turning around, but it does take time yeah. for understanding to kind of set in. So, And how's the reaction to the book been from, from your siblings and other, any other family members? Um, I've basically told uh, two, uh, two family members uh, about the book, uh, the two most supportive, um, generally supportive people for, for just other people's life, you know, lives and, and, uh, probably two of them that are the least judgmental and, uh, what two that I felt comfortable sharing it with. And the rest of the family is one of those things where I'll leave it out there. And if they happen to run across it, I'm sure they'll contact me and I'll, I'll address that at the, at that time, you know, but, uh, there's just two other, uh, siblings that, that know about the book. And, and, and do you know if they've read it? Did they give you any 
reaction? Oh yes. Oh yes. They've, yeah, they've, they've read it. Um, and, uh, well, actually one of them has read it and, uh, and gave, you know, gave me great feedback. They loved it. Um, they understood why I wrote it. They understood the importance. Um, but some of the things that they read was very hard for them because they had to kind of go back and relive some of the pain that I lived. And so we had kind of a, a shared um, uh, sadness in certain sections of the book. Um, but, you know, they were happy that, that I stated that and that I got that out. Uh, you know, in, in a sense, I kind of got that out there for them as well. I was gonna, I wanted to ask, um, since you were the youngest of 10, I know there was a point where all your, your older siblings had all moved out of the house. It was just you and your parents for a while, mm -hmm. but was, was your experience growing up in that house similar to your siblings? Did they have some of the same issues and challenges and abuse scenarios? Um, the, no, I was, the, <laughs> there was a lot of, um, resentment and a lot of, uh, anger, um, towards me from my siblings because I didn't receive the same type of treatment. Um, I, I, I basically came seven years later from the last child. So there was a seven year gap of no, of, of no new kids. Mm. So seven years later, when I showed up, it was like, life's going to be different for him because he's the very last one. He's the baby. Um, he won't get the violence, uh, the abuse. Um, my father was, very violent in his discipline to my older siblings um, from belt whipping to, you know, to, to being physical with them. And um, of course I didn't get that. Um, I didn't get the, the, the violence or the, the hateful nature of, of his discipline. Um, and they did. And of course they resented him, but they also resented me because I was spared that, you know, um, they decided to, to do, do things a little differently with the last one. Um, and they did to a certain degree. Um, but you know, we all had our, we all had our stuff. I just had a, a different group of stuff that I, that I dealt with. Yeah. Very interesting. You talk about taking personal responsibility. So while you were growing up and, and the times looking back that you weren't doing that in, you were kind of just this, the, the wounded little Brad, were you, were you aware that you were kind of shirking responsibility and were you conscious that you were just a follower or was it all just kind of those unconscious, um, you know, thoughts? You're, you're, you're just living your life and you thought you were just doing it like anyone's supposed to. Right. I, I didn't, I honestly didn't have a clear picture of what responsibility looked like. Um, I knew that I could work hard and throughout the book, um, dozens upon dozens of jobs. Uh, I could have two and three jobs. I could work real hard. And my, my father set that example that I did emulate. And I learned that I was never scared of work or working hard um, and making, you know, an income uh, and providing income to the household like he did um, but beyond working hard and making money, I really didn't have any concept of being responsible, you know, or, or making, making decisions or, or, or taking, taking my rightful place, 
you know, in, in, in a family structure. I just, I didn't know what that was. Uh, I didn't have any examples to look at. Right. Cause, um, so the, the, the bulk of the book is our, our chapters about your, your three marriages. Mm-hmm. So it, it does really seem like, um, yeah, you, you're almost willing to put yourself away and, and just be identified as, as the husband, as the person in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Does that ring true? Yeah. Yes. Very true. Yeah. yeah. Right on, right on, right on the money. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some differences and I'm going to use the, uh, in the book, it's Robert and little Robert, and, or it's just, I want to make it clear for people listening, but or Brad or Brad or little Brad or Robert or little Robert, depending mm-hmm. if you're talking to you or reading the book. Um, what are some of the differences between Robert, the man and that, that wounded version? Um, like I said, the biggest, the, the biggest transitional uh, part for me is when I left the second marriage and when my second son had reached uh, the age of, of being an adult. And I had been doing a lot of work on myself throughout those years. Um, music always played a really important part in, in my life. Um, I always wanted to be in the entertainment business. Uh, I wanted to be a, well, I was for a while. I was an Elvis Presley impersonator. Uh, and I wanted to be like him. Um, uh, he too had a lot of uh, sexual energy. He had a lot of confusion. Um, he was a mommy's boy. Uh, him and his father, Vernon, had a lot of head-to-head, you know, confrontation. He didn't get along with him as, as well as his mother, you know. So there was a lot of parallels there. So kind of growing up, I kind of used that as a benchmark for me. Um, so music, like I said, it's been a, it's been a driving thing for me through, throughout the years leading up to me leaving that second marriage, there was several songs that I used for healing. Um, one of the songs that I used was by the pretenders, um, titled I'll stand by you. And, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the song, and uh, but the words were exactly what I needed to tell Little Brad. Hmm. And for me, the song was my way of speaking to him through the words of that song, and 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 it was a message I you know continually told him that I would stand by him and that I wouldn't let anybody hurt him any longer. And I started to make that transition of taking responsibility for him and his actions. And until I went back, I, w- I wasn't prepared to move forward with my life as, a, as an adult. Hmm. So I, that's one thing. Um, and so that was a very important song. And what you said, what, what the difference is, is... going through the the healing process and making a conscious decision to go back and revisit him, his feelings, his emotions, his fears, being responsible for all of his feelings and fears and thoughts and behavior, as well as my own in present day. I had to be responsible for both sets of feelings and emotions. And 
alleviate him from his responsibility by taking that on myself because in essence it was all mine to take and so that was the start of that transition is when I made a decision to take responsibility for him and in turn taking responsibility for myself and saying this isn't right I am not the person I was meant to be at 50 years old and leaving that very controlling marriage after 22 years gave me a window to move in a different direction and my third marriage is a complete opposite of my first two marriages so the opportunity for growth is unlimited in my third and final marriage that i'm in now because i have the right i have the opportunity and i and i've been given uh the option to move forward as an adult in this marriage where i wasn't allowed to do that in the previous two does that make sense yep no nope, okay. i got it um and back to this notion of, of really finally claiming personal responsibility for your for yourself uh for your life for for your happiness mm-hmm when when you weren't doing that was it were you kind of a blamer or was it just that you 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 really just you just let go and just went with the flow and you just went wherever wherever a wife or a boss or anyone was going to lead you exactly the second one i I didn't i didn't really blame um i I know that it's real tempting for people to go well i'm this way because of my mother because of my father and i mean i i went down that road a few times um one of the points that I wanted to to bring up, you know, we, we were talking before we went on. Um, currently, you know, in the news, um, Netflix has a special on the Aaron Hernandez story. And I find it very ironic that when I listen to his story and I look at his background, um, he had... He, he had a tendency to blame, well, he blamed his mother. I mean, that was something that, you know, he blamed his mother for what his father had done. Uh, there was obviously abuse, you know, with him and his father uh, and his brother, you know. And so I looked at his story and I went, and it's, and it's a sad story because he ended up in a really bad place, obviously. Um, but there was a lot of similarities and parallels there. Um, he did point the finger. He did blame others. He did not take personal responsibility for who he was as a man, but he had the same similar scenarios that I, that I lived through and I'm still alive, you know? So that's, that is something that hopefully people can relate to if they look at his story and look at my story and go, you know, it is possible to move beyond the baggage or the hurt or the tears or without pointing fingers. And I, I just kind of look at where would he be if he took a hundred percent responsibility for his actions and a hundred percent responsibility of who he was and not what he was um, in his family background, you know, with all the bad stories of what went on with his father and stuff. So that's just an example to kind of match it up with, with where I'm at and, and what I'm doing. 
Yeah, in my own experience and with all the men I've talked to, it's impossible to to heal or to change if you aren't willing to take responsibility first. Right. Yeah. Um, but I've mentioned it many times. But you know, I certainly had a fear of responsibility because I thought I thought that was synonymous with blame. Was that at all kind of your mindset? Um. Yeah. Similar. Hmm. Yes. Um. Similar. I mean, as far as taking the responsibility and then you're accepting the blame, you're accepting um, the perspective of blaming yourself. You mean? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I, that's what I thought you were. I, I thought that's where you were going with it. Um, right. And that that was definitely part of of uh, of my lack of interest in doing that. You know, it's because it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not taking that on. You know, I mean, I didn't do these things. You know, I'm not I'm not going to take that on. Um, but there really is a difference there between accepting the blame uh, and accepting the responsibility. I think accepting the blame is you accept, accepting a negative aspect of your life, hmm. but accepting responsibility, you're accepting a positive aspect of your life. Right. And, there, and there's a big difference between those two. One is very dark. One is very light. And, um, yeah, it's important to differentiate the right one, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the differences. Because yeah. nobody will always have 100% control over all the circumstances of their life. Mm. But what Correct. we can control is, is our, our reaction, like what we do with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that can't be, that, that can't unfold without taking personal responsibility. And it's, and it's lacking, um, you know, it just... You know, 2020, we, we look around at news stories or Hollywood or or all the different, you know, stories that we are inundated with and that we hear about every day or, or that we watch on Netflix or Hulu or, you know, or uh, cable TV or whatever. And it, it it's real prevalent um, as far as the, the um, lack of personal responsibility or the lack of, well, that's not my fault. That, that's not my fault. And this was done to me, you know, and because this was done to me, I feel entitled for the rest of my life. And that's real prevalent. Um, and I can tell your listeners, that's really a bad place to be in. Um, I can speak from personal experience that I wasted 50 years of my life in that mindset and wow i mean you know can't change those 50 years but i can change my next 50 and that's the direction i'm heading in and uh i know we've talked before i asked about this too because of of just that phrase so you do you really believe you wasted 50 years what or you know was there were there were there some nuggets some gifts you know did it did it need that to get to where you are today or does it really feel like a lot of wasted time I don't necessarily know if it's um well I guess wasting isn't really a, a a good term. I was just looking at my notes. Um I guess I wish in my heart that I would have figured it out sooner because it would have given me more time to help more people and become a stronger person and to be a person that contributes to society in a more productive, strong, healthy way. Um, you know, if it would have happened 20 years ago, then I would have more time. Hmm. 
And so, you know, I'm kind of halfway here. Uh, and it's like, it would have been nice to have an extra 10 or 15 years or, you know, or 20 years. Um, because I think I probably would have had more energy uh, and more opportunity to make, to make a bigger difference, you know, for other people as well as myself. But I'm glad it happened and uh, accept that and take it from, take it from here and keep running. Um, is there a, a habit, a practice or a book that, that helped you that you would want to share with others? Uh, I've, I've read a lot of self-help books, uh, which is ironic. Uh, I read a lot of self-help books when I was younger, um, in, well, in my 20s. Uh, I, I did the Zig Ziglar, and uh, I'm trying to think of Tracy, um, Brian Tracy. Uh, Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar. Um, I went through Dale Carnegie. I went through public speaking training uh, and uh, self-development, you know, courses on selling and career build, career, career builders. Um, none of those things stuck. Um, did you, did they, did you feel temporary gains or stronger at the completion of a book or anything, or it just that it didn't last? I felt stronger. <clears throat> like I said, it's kind of ironic. Um, I felt stronger knowing the information that they told me, but I failed to act on the information that was given to me. It's like, that's great. That sounds amazing. I can see someone doing great things with this information. And that was exciting to me. It was positive to me and it motivated me to a certain extent, but I wasn't that person. Hmm. And so you know, they said, take actions, you know, and, and you can develop, you can become a, a stronger person. You can develop yourself. Um, and it all sounded great. But the most important step that they advocated, I do, I, I didn't do that. I didn't take the actions. So I didn't really benefit from those. From, not, not that it was bad information. I just didn't benefit from what they were saying. Cause I never utilized it. You know, I never, I never took that tool out of the toolbox, I guess. So th then was there a specific moment or event that got you to say, I'm sick of wasting all these years and I'm going to take action. That would be the last six months and i hate it you know i hate to keep going back but but it's it's part of the story and it's it's part of the the transition that i want people to get um the last six months to to a year of of that 22 year marriage um my life consisted of going to the post office to pick up stuff that had been ordered by my wife at the at that time um doing grocery shopping and running errands getting smokes gas things of that nature. And when I wasn't doing those things, I was in my bedroom on the computer, surfing the internet, watching movies, um, you know, in chat rooms and looking for online attention, um, sexual attention, um, anything to feed my need to be loved and cared for. And 
I stayed up pretty much seven days a week at night into the wee hours of the morning, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, um, chat rooms, movies, music, played a little bit of guitar. And I lived in that bedroom with my dog in his crate um, every day, every night. And that was it. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I had. Um, my wife at the time was making tremendous amounts of money. So there wasn't a lack financially. We could buy anything we wanted. I mean, anything. Um, so the, fin the financial stability, that wasn't even an issue. What was completely missing was a life, a relationship um, with anyone, <laughs> you know. Um, I had no relationship with my second son. He was very connected to his mother. And we spoke every once in a while, maybe a couple times a day. Hey, how's it going? Hey, can you bring that to me? And that was about it. Hmm. Um, so that was a very miserable place. Yeah. Uh, a very destitute. Just, you know, I was, it was kind of like being in prison and then you get to go to chow and meet some of the other inmates. or you get to go out and shoot some hoops, you know, out on the basketball court. And then all you got to go back to yourselves. Well, that, that literally was the same, was the same scenario. You know, I could go out, I could run to Walmart or I could run, you know, run here to pick this up or, and then I came back home to the same thing. And, and that went on for months and months and months, well, actually years, but, um, but I kept in the back of my mind, that was the same time that my second son was becoming older and he was getting his driver's license and he was starting to get, you know, close. Um, uh, when he turned 17, I mean, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I got to survive a year. I've got to survive one year. Or do I bail and leave the situation and break the promise to myself and break the promise to him? Because after leaving one son behind at three years old, refusing to repeat that mistake with my second son, that was a really hard, emotional, angry, tearful time. But I, I had to keep that promise. I had to stay. And so, like you said, what was the buildup? What was the transition? Years of working on myself and then making that commitment to him. And then that all culminated or that all came together when he became 18 and he, he, he was an adult. And I don't know if he was completely ready to accept my decision, but it met the criteria of that promise. And I had met my current wife. I had met her online. We were friends and we shared a lot of similar goals, interests. And so I, I had someone that cared about me and I wanted to spend time with that, with her. And I wanted to spend more time with her because I felt more alive and I felt worthy. Um, and so meeting her and reaching that, that end of my promise was, was the combination of why I made the decision to, I've got to leave now. It's time to go. Yeah. 
So you were really, you used the prison metaphor, but you were really serving a sentence that you imposed on yourself. Absolutely. Well, yeah, it was imposed on me. Um, you know, my second wife, like I said, she made all the, all the money and um, all the ideas and, and everything that we did, um, the dozens upon dozens of moves, um, traveling around the country in a converted school bus, being full-time RVers. Um, those were all her ideas to live a gypsy lifestyle and explore the country. Um, my second son was homeschooled, so he had no social skills and, and his life basically involved doing the same thing as I was doing. Hmm. He just did it in a different room. And then she ran her business and we kind of, you know, we saw each other every once in a while if we went from one room to, a, to the other, but that was about it. That was the extent of the family uh, that was going on at that time. Hmm. Hmm. So, uh, <laughs> is there anything else you definitely want to get across from Man at 50? Um, I think um, probably one of the biggest things, and I've, I've covered this um, when, I've, when I've spoke to people, is I think it's important for anyone to move forward with, with their life, with their life. Um, for me personally, I had to go back and I had to identify, um, the things that little Brad loved to do. I had to identify the things that hurt him, the things that made him feel good. I had to identify his hopes and dreams and the things that, that made him excited of, about life. And I had to go back and kind of reassess him as a child. And then I had to take those same things, place them into my life as an adult and create or manifest those things in my life as an adult. Because until I did that, little Brad would never be happy because hmm. that he was always trying to get those things. He was always behaving in a way to satisfy those feelings and those dreams and the things that he wanted in his life. And of course, little Brad wanted to be an entertainer. He wanted to show off, make people laugh, make people smile or cry. Um, at where I'm at now at, at my age, I'll, you know, I'll, to be honest with you, I'll never be in the music industry. Okay. But, the direction I'm taking my life now is other people. And so in essence, I am in the entertainment business because I am reaching out to other people and I want to help teach and give everything I have inside of me to them to help them in any way I can so that they can be happier and stronger. And that's why entertainers entertain. That's why actors act, you know, singers sing. Um, because they want to give, they're giving to people. And so I'm doing what little Brad wanted to do. I'm just doing it differently, but I'm still accomplishing the same goal that he had. Cool. You know, I'm bringing him forward. And so that's kind of the underlying thing that I want people to get. Um, go back, get a real clear understanding of who you are as a small child, and then bring them to current day and implement them in your lives 
and don't let anything, you know, stop you from doing that. You have to take responsibility for your current self and all the responsibility all the way back to when you were a young child and then bring what you had back there into your life in the current time frame. And I think people will find a lot of happiness in their lives if they can do that. But there's going to be struggles, you know, and I get that. And there's going to be a lot of negative stuff to go through. But until you grab a hold of it, you know, that's, you got to do that first. And like you said earlier, you got to take personal responsibility. That's, that's the key to moving forward. Cool. Cool. So what's your next book about? Well, um, <laughs> the, the <clears throat> my second book Hopefully you come out next year. That's going to be a self-help help book. Uh, I only have one autobiography. So uh, that one is, uh, is the, the title. I haven't decided on it completely, but uh, for right now, uh, it's titled Your Little Me. And um, it's, from my experiences, you know, I, the book is about an individual person, man or woman, um, if they are, uh, if they're fully adjusted and they're happy and they're living their dreams and they're, and they're actually doing the things they, they dreamt about their whole life, then this book's not for them. <laughs> Cause it's like, you're going to go, you know, good for you. Um, but the, but the people that are not in that place and it's like, I don't like what I do. I don't like the relationship I'm in and I don't like where I'm at. Then this book helps them step by step to go back, understand, take responsibility for everything back there, and then transition all the way up to current day and to help them implement everything they dreamed of and everything that was in their heart when they were a child to make it come true and bring it alive as an adult and formulate that game plan and move forward and cool. not give up on it, you know? Yeah, no, it sounds very much needed. That's great. And uh, you have a podcast too. Do you want to give that a, a shout out? Um, it's the Man at 50 podcast and it's on, um, it's hosted at Anchor FM. Um, there are several links out there on, on Twitter, on my Twitter feed and, and my LinkedIn feed. Um, and it's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Man at 50 podcast. Um, it's easy to find. <laughs> great. And we'll be sure and have a, you can visit realmenfield.org for the uh, blog posts for this episode. We'll have links to grab the book and connect on Twitter and LinkedIn and, and get more information about, about Brad and, and um, his book, Man at 50. And you had mentioned you wanted to make a, make an offer to, to people listening. Well, yeah, I just, um, for your listeners out there, um, I'd like to offer a, uh, a free copy of my audio book. Uh, my audio book came out in uh, December. Um, not too long ago, and it is narrated by Steve Stanzel. Um, he's the voice of HBO. Uh, he does the HBO commercials, and um, people will recognize his voice, but he is my narrator. Uh, I think it's, a, it's an excellent audio book. Even if it wasn't my book, um, he, he did a terrific job. So it's, it's, a, it's an awesome read. And um, basically, uh, if... You know, whoever wants to email me, my email address is man at 50, the book 
at yahoo.com. It's man at 50, the book at yahoo.com. Um, it'll be time stamped. So whoever is the first one to email me and mention real men feel that they heard me on the show, um, I will give them a free copy of the audiobook uh, and also offer to them uh, 30 minutes one-on-one -on -one if they want to reach out to me, talk with me uh, via phone or via Zoom and share their story. And I will be glad to listen and give, you know, any one of you listeners, um, along with the free audio book, 30 minutes of my time, because I would love to hear their story and maybe shed some light on where they're at. Um, and I'd love to hear about it. And if I can help them, I'm more than willing to do so. Great. So first Great. person to email me and then we'll go from there. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, the race is on. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, don't, and don't assume it's been done. So whenever you're listening to it, you know, it's worth an email, right? Right. Cool. Um, so Brad, I want to thank you for sharing your story with us today on the show and, and telling your story in, in print um, and congratulate you on taking responsibility, on deciding enough was enough. And, and yeah, there's really nothing, wow, there's, no, there's nothing sadder than to talk to someone who feels like they've wasted years of their lives. So I'm glad that that is over. Mm-hmm. Well, I put a stop to that. <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a very important, you know, important place to get. Um, and, you know, thinking about, I wish it would have happened sooner. Um, yeah, that's eyes in the past instead of eyes in eyes in the present or eyes in the future. So, um, I, I still have quite a few years left and I believe I can, there's a lot I can do. And, um, um, I'm in a much stronger place and I feel that I'm able to do things now that I could never even conceive of hmm. when I was in, um, the younger place. Sure. Um, so, uh, I'm just ready to move forward and I appreciate you having me on. It was, it was a pleasure. Yep. Uh, it was. Uh, so thanks again, Brad. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, wherever you're listening, wherever you're discovering that real men feel, give us a rating, a review, a share, a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Visit realmenfield.org for more information about this show, past shows, future shows, mystery shows, and send us feedback. And uh, as always, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Is your prostate waking you up more often than your alarm clock? The fact is, the older you get, the more likely you'll have prostate problems, which can affect your everyday life. That's where Prostate Complete by Real Health comes in. Prostate Complete is the result of 20 years of experience as a leader in men's health. The powerful formula in Prostate Complete supports natural prostate function and reduced urinary urges for a better quality of life. Available at Walmart. Visit ProstateOnePerDay.com for special offers. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.